0: To another episode of Setting the Tone: New York Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren, salutations, and Daniel.
1: Hey. Today
0: we'll be discussing Season Five, Episode Eighteen, which tell Point of Origin. The episode aired on April eighth, nineteen ninety-nine. Lauren, what was going on that week twenty? 22- Lauren, what was going on that week twenty-two years ago?
2: At WrestleMania 15, Stone Cold Steve Austin defeats The Rock in a no disqualification match to win the WWF Championship.
0: Any
1: insights on this one, Daniel? Uh, it is not a good one. It is a. Ooh. It is a, It is a pretty bad. That, that's kind of the the funny thing about because this is we, we talked about this a little bit last week, and I promise this will be the last time we talk about wrestling for no, no, for, for a very long time. It's not going to come up again for not quite if, a not not if
2: I have anything to say about it.
1: Um, but as we talked about last week, this is sort of the peak time of wrestling as a phenomenon in america uh and it um you would think that like being the peak and and wrestlemania kind of being the peak of their yearly schedule you would think that there would be kind of some signature attitude era uh wrestlemania's that's not really the case like wrestlemania 14 is kind of agreed upon as the starting point of the attitude era and Barring a couple of matches is not really that memorable. Seems very quaint by comparison when you look at the like multiple day event that is modern WrestleMania's. Um WrestleMania 15 is the most nineteen ninety-nine shit I have ever seen. It is like <laughs> it is Edgelord the ride. Like it is just it's awful. It's really truly awful in so many different ways. Um and then but it has mankind, so how can it be that bad? Because all he's doing is it's a whole thing. Um, <laughs> the one next year is also pretty forgettable, barring a couple of matches. Like, if you com- if you took all the best matches out of these three, 14, 15, and then uh, WrestleMania 2000, because we had to put 2000 Ugh. on it, couldn't just call it WrestleMania 16. Um, if you take the best matches out of those three, you might be able to put together one really good card, but as individual shows, they're pretty terrible. And then you get WrestleMania 17, which is amazing, and one of the best shows of all time, so... You know, it closed on a good note, but the three prior to that are big stinkers. This one, probably the worst of the bunch.
2: I have so much to look forward to during my watch through Goody. Um, people really do want to know what The Matrix is, as in its second week of nationwide release, ticket sales see a staggering 330% increase, leading the film to an easy box office victory.
0: It was like $9 million in its debut week. And only only a hundred theaters were added. it was like 2700 2800 theaters and, and what well, yeah it went from like nine point something million to 41 point something million Yeah.
2: And believe by share concludes its fourth week concludes its four week run atop the music charts.
1: As for what else was on that evening at 8 pm we have friends with the episode the one where Rachel smokes. At 8.30, we have a new entry into the Thursday night NBC lineup, a mainstay of the uh, – I don't know if it was a mainstay of Thursday night, but it was definitely a mainstay of NBC's lineup uh, for a while. Uh, Will and Grace. But now it's must-see TV. Yeah, Will and Grace, uh, which is in the latter stages of its first season at this point Mm -hmm. uh, with the episode Grace Replaced. Uh, So they've been on uh, this whole season, but they've just been on a different night. And I guess maybe they're getting a test run here on Thursday night. Um, I looked, and it's not the end of Jesse. Jesse is still around for at least one more season. Um, but it uh, they for some reason, they burned off episodes faster than everything else. So their season had already concluded by this point. Uh, so they were done for the season. And so they slot Will and Grayson in here in the Thursday slot. So we'll see if we see any more of them uh, down the road. Uh, at 9 p.m., Frazier with the episode IQ. And at 9.30, uh, taking the place of Veronica's Closet this week, is an old friend, Just Shoot Me, uh, with a rerun.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, For viewers this week, we had 26.1 million tuning in. Uh, This uh, this week's episode is directed by Christopher Missiano, doing his third out of 11. Previous one of his from this season we talked about was Split Second. And this week's episode is written by one-episode wonder, Christopher Mack, who's doing his one-and-only episode, uh, he was also a writer on the TV series, the practice as well as the 2002 reboot of the twilight zone, uh, hosted by Forrest Whitaker, which I never saw an episode of, but I definitely remember watching the promos for it. Uh, cause it ran on UPN. So as taking it back to wrestling as a kid, watching a lot of, uh, WWF Smackdown in 99, 2000, uh, you would see a lot of promos for, um, the upcoming twilight zone reboot starring Forrest Whitaker. Um, and then I want to point out, too, uh, keeping keeping, <laughs> keeping with the theme of season five, this is our fifth Genie-less episode of the season. Our girl is getting oh, yeah. written light suppose, this yeah. season.
0: Hmm. Well, our previously on this week is brought to us by Carter, and someone's banging on Carol's door while she's asleep on the couch, and it's her mom. Hey, we haven't seen her in a hot minute. Um, She's also yelling for Doug, so uh, awkward. Uh, it's eight thirty in the morning carol says that doug left but declines to <laughs> say that he's you know he's left permanently
2: yeah i love how she's like but you guys always go to work together
0: yeah. not anymore but mom brought some extra food for doug doug's favorite i forget i forgot what it was but uh carol almost passes out when standing up and really
1: Yes, this is it for Carol's mom. We will never see Carol's mom again after this scene. She is off into the after, shadow realm.
0: I would have thought after the babies,
1: yeah, you would have thought right i i was I was actually very surprised- I kind of checked this one as like, uh, oh, just I wonder how much longer we have Carol's mom, you know, I'm figuring that, like you said, somewhere shortly around the time that the twins were born, uh she might disappear, uh but no, it's actually here,
2: all right, um. Then we go over to Benton, who is on the phone while hanging out with Reese at his apartment. And he needs to go to an open house for Reese's prospective school. But Romano is calling, trying to get him to come in on a surgery that's been rescheduled. And it's not going well. Um, Reese picks up a knife from the dishwasher. (laughs) And we see Benton both yell and sign no at him. And just cute little baby homicidal maniac. It's the origin of
0: the vine. Yes. (laughs) What you got there?
2: A A knife! knife. No! (laughs) No! It's so good. But yeah, Reese is adorable, as always. More Reese, always. Um, Benton caves to go in in 30 minutes, so he's going to miss this open house again. He says he's already missed it, like, three times. And Reese then drops his hearing aid into the toilet. What
0: a little shit.
1: Uh, even manages to make that cute, though.
2: Yeah, just... I'm so glad he doesn't flush it. If he had flushed it, I would have had a heart attack, but he luckily doesn't go that
0: far. Are toddlers so precocious when they're destroying expensive medical devices?
2: Yes.
1: Yeah, um, they actually are. I mean,
2: then we go over to a home and Carrie is yelling for O2 or pillows to help someone breathe. And we kind of figure out that it's maybe like an assisted living home or a nursing home. Mm. Um, Carrie says the woman is altered and asks for the woman's baseline also that the woman is hypoxic and may have pneumonia and the nurse is like she's a DNR and the doctor came yesterday like what do you want us to do we don't have this equipment and um she's also in congestive heart failure and the nurse or the nurse or like the caregiver says you're not her doctor and Carrie slaps back with no I'm her daughter
0: Da-na-na.
1: I don't, know why we, so, I don't know why we did the sports center sound for that. <laughs> but but sure. I was th-
0: I didn't think
2: I didn't think sports center.
1: I mean, we literally went da na na da na na. <laughs> but it's it's fine. It works. I suppose we did.
2: That's yeah, but that's I I don't equate that noise with sports center cuz god forbid I've ever watched sports center in my life. You're right. It probably is that noise, but I think of it as like the mystery who done it noise. Da na na. All
1: I can hear is the sports center sound in my head now,
2: <laughs> oh, Lizzie, uh, please take us in. Further.
0: uh, we're we'll going with some bangs and after Scott Van Pel plays us out uh, we, <laughs> <laughs> uh Lucy has to run up to group therapy. It's her first week up in psych. I'm sure that'll go well. Um, Carter says they're just trying to freak her out, and Lucy
1: says, oh yeah, she's really good at this stuff. Are you though, Lucy? Oof. Are you though? Here's more of that, had, uh, <laughs> that. More of that uncomfortable hindsight foreshadowing.
0: As probably the person with the most, uh, with the most experience of attending therapy and attending group therapy in this entire in this entire podcast, um, student doctors are varying wild are very wildly. Yeah. and how good they are I've, I've had some really good insightful ones and i've had some really god awful ones that i wish would just leave
1: yeah i can imagine that uh so then we go from there we see carol is coming in uh late uh mark mark is asking uh carter where he wants him uh as carter is running the board uh turns out that uh carter is going to be senior for the day so <laughs> yeah i do we think i mean so okay we'll get into this in just a second because we're Carter then goes to ask where all the pens are, and Jerry pranks him with a zap pen. We find out that it's April Fool's Day. Do we think that the very idea of Carter being senior for the day is in and of itself an April Fool's prank?
2: I did not have that thought at the time of this airing, but it could be. Because, yeah, um, when when they talk about him being senior for the day, Lucy goes, oh, is it part of your uh, chief application? And Mark's like, "Yeah, something like that.
1: Yeah. like it, So
2: it could very well be. Because he
1: kind of, like, I mean, as you might expect, he doesn't get very much respect as the senior, and he kind of gets shit on this whole episode. And so I was like, is this like a meta thing where like the putting him in charge for the day is in and of itself a prank? I don't know.
0: It's more of a welcome to management jackass. Yeah,
1: it's, it's a rude awakening for our boy. Uh, we go from there to a uh, lawyer... Uh, talking to Mark about the Mobilaje and Kube situation as we will recall from the end of last week's episode uh, they are uh, well at least in Mobilaje's case he is uh, in the process of trying to be deported uh, because he uh, is here in the country illegally Uh, and we get a big modern day oh hey it's that person here Uh, Skylar White is our lawyer Uh, Anna Gunn uh, who as I said she played uh, that's probably I would say far and away her most recognizable role uh Skylar White on Breaking Bad uh but she was also in the movies Sully and Equity uh and I I remembered that this happened but I wasn't sure exactly where and I couldn't even remember exactly what it was her um her job was that she showed up doing but I did remember that Skylar White showed up for an episode
0: everyone's been on this goddamn show I swear to god
1: yeah at some point it's I I believe that was uh Troy Evans that said that uh when Mm -hmm. we interviewed him he said just, practically just about everybody with a sag card found their way through the e r soundstage at one point or another mm-hmm. in the nineties um but uh Corday tells uh skyler that her uh <laughs> tells her that uh Mobilaji was discharged from urology this morning, which uh complicates things because if he is no longer under doctor's care, that means he is subject to his hearing yikes hey, hey. Uh, and
0: Corday and Benson are talking about why Benton is in already after he comes in. Um and what in Weinstein? Oh, and some hotshot surgeon named Dr. Weinstein. Um, hopefully not Harvey. Um, (laughs) bad joke. I'm sorry. Record.
2: I'm already about to take my headphones off. All right.
0: Um, is he's leaving town soon, so they have to run run the surgery right now. I guess he has like basketball tickets tonight or something like that, or baseball tickets. Yeah, no he.
2: It's baseball, and then he has some like conference going out of town or something. I yeah. thought I heard them say. Yeah, so.
0: Benton, well, Benton's on the phone about the hearing aid, um, and Romano just does the absolute it most dickish move possible, and just hangs up and just hits the the receiver thing and hangs up the phone. And can't do that to someone now. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's true. Right?
0: And follows it up with the, after Benton protests, he follows it up with the always lovely, what are you, deaf? I said let's go.
1: Yikes, man.
0: <laughs> and uh, Benton tells Corday to get out now before she has to pick a specialty, and apparently she's going after a trauma fellowship, which is the first time we've ever heard about this. And Benton's heard about this.
2: Um then we go over to Mark is coming up to talk to Lizzie with Skylar. Are we just gonna call her Skylar this th- whole episode? Cause, I don't okay,
1: think her yeah. character ever actually gets a name. I think she's just I've... listed as Mobilaje's lawyer, so Skylar is okay. as good as any. Um
2: but yeah, about INS and Mobilaje. They're trying to get physical disability continuance and without it, like we mentioned, Mobilaje will have to testify in court, read the torture, and do a signed a signed statement about it with
0: explicit details. Yeah that's the key part there is is the details portion, mm. which is problematic when you know someone's been tortured,
1: right?
2: Which they talk about the PTSD and how he has blocked memories of it and everything. Um,
1: it's it's like how it's like how Corday says like shouldn't he just be able to just show them the scars on his back and they yeah. and they be like yeah okay good you're in.
2: Nope. <sighs> Um, then we go over to Carter working with a child having some persistent crying after a nap, a fever of 101, very lethargic, won't really come to. Carter at first says he may be septic. Great. So just
0: kind of a big diagnosis. To, to just say, say, oh, right he to. might
2: be this, and then right. not follow up on it right there. Um, this kid will be a little bit of a through line. Carrie runs in with her mom and rushes her into trauma one. Whose films are those? um and Carrie starts running the trauma by herself, pushes Carter out and was like I got this. Go do other stuff. It's fine. And like just totally over treating this elderly altered woman who is a DNR.
1: I love how he's still like I don't know if you're aware, Dr. Weaver, but I'm yes. senior for the day. Like he try he still tries to like, you know, rem- let her not like, "Oh, I don't know if you heard, but I
2: yeah. I'm right. I love how she's she's like, "Then go run the board."
0: <laughs> oh, Carter. Then we go over to Mark and Mobilage and Kubi, and they're about to go see the psychologist. And Mark says he will get sent back without the testimony about the torture, and puts him in a wheelchair and says, "Oh yeah, no, you're feverish, and if anyone asks,
1: tell me you have belly pain." Right, and he goes into the whole like assessment. He's like, "Oh, you're a little tachycardic, and uh, you're a little <laughs> like he just. A little warm. Yeah, he goes into the whole like spiel, like." Which is very – which somebody points this out when we get to the listener responses, but, like, this is very much a Doug Ross move. Like, mm-hmm. this is this has mm-hmm. echoes of a Doug Ross move.
2: There are a couple echoes of Doug in this episode that get called out, and it's really good. Yeah. Uh,
1: but we go from there. We see Benton Romano and the aforementioned Dr. Weinstein scrubbing in. Uh, they're talking charmingly enough about inseminating horses, which – What is it about season five and horses? Why do horses huh? keep coming up in season five? Jake. Ask your wife. She's a horse lady. Uh, yeah. She she probably would have thoughts about this. Um, <laughs> uh, they get interrupted. Uh, Weinstein asked to push the surgery back to one, uh, which would have given Benson plenty of time to go to his open house if you're keeping score at mm-hmm. home, uh, because he has a call with a sales rep. Hmm. Uh, and Dr. Weinstein here is played by actor Matthew Faison, who I really only grabbed because I thought it was an interesting coincidence that he appears in two iconic '80s horror movie franchises. Both in both instances, in Part Six, uh, he is in Friday the Thirteenth Part Six and Nightmare on Elm Street Part Six. Doesn't play. I mean, obviously, there's not really much crossover between those series except when they, you know, had their versus movie many years later. Uh, but. Uh, He's not playing the same character or anything like that, but he just manages to worm his way into part six of both series.
0: All right, good for him. Got a paycheck. All right, let's go uh, to our first audio clip of the episode. Corday runs into Carol down at the Roach Coach.
3: Kind of shift. Oh no, just started. You? Post call. Six hours to go. Feels like this internship's never going to end. It always feels like that. That looks really good. I'm famished. I just can't eat anything, you know. I'm trying to keep something down, but here. Thanks. Morning sickness. Yeah. And I'm really, really tired. Have you seen your OB? You've not made a decision. You know, three months ago I was worried that I couldn't even get pregnant, and now, here I am, all alone. I wanted to have a baby with Doug. I'd... I don't want to be a single mother. Do you have to be? I mean, have you spoken with Doug? I see all these pregnant women parading through here, lost, frightened, not knowing what to do. Okay, and what do you tell them? I always say go with your gut, because most of the time it's right. So, what does yours tell you?
1: I don't know.
2: I really like this companionship between the two of them.
1: Yeah, I do too, and I'm uh sort of surprised, I guess, at how much we're seeing of it. Like I'm, uh, it's not a pairing that I really remember. It kind of, I think we talked about this last week, how it kind of felt out of left field a little bit that Corday was the one to receive the news of Carol's pregnancy first, and so to see them, you know, to to realize that that wasn't just a one off and that they do actually follow up on that a little bit in this episode was both kind of nice and also still a little bit surprising. Where I was like, oh, they really do kind of Mm -hmm. have a have a established friendship a little bit
2: yeah i would have loved to have seen more of this yeah from there mark tries to get mobilage bounced back to corday and the surgical service for readmit orders because you know he was just discharged from surgery so it would be a bounce back to them wants to buy him some time and corday is having some issues as she says signing her name to a lie Which I always think it's really interesting what they do with Corday because this will be a kind of through line for some of her stories is how much she is willing to bend the rules Mm -hmm. and the things she is willing to, you know, cover for or go out on a limb for. And I just, it's just neat that this is one of the first few times we have this explicit, like, this is a Mm no-no. This is, you are falsifying documentation right here. But she does it because it's Mark.
1: Right? Yeah. And no,
2: not really. Well, she does it because she she does it because she believes in, in what's going on, yeah. but also maybe because it's smart.
1: I, That's next season. I, uh, well, actually I was gonna say this was actually technically the last Green Dayless episode of uh the series. Next episode is where that really starts. So. We already had a
2: Green Day episode, Jim's
1: saying. I have the dumbest grin on my face right now. <laughs> this is technically the last episode where we can say that. Uh, Mark Green and Elizabeth Corday do not have any sort of uh, romantic inclinations toward one another. Yes! (laughs) R slash pictures taken moments before disaster. (laughs) We're getting Uh. getting into
0: prime time, baby.
2: So then Carter asks if Mark can see a few patients as he has an armful of charts and has been, you know, trying to run everything himself while Mark is trying to be a superhero. And he's like, here, can you take some of these? Just that's my Carter impression, because Carter is completely at a loss for how to function today. It kind
1: of reminded me a little bit of that the episode back in early season one where uh, Mark and Jennifer basically just do it the whole episode and Doug is left in charge of the ER <laughs> yeah. and he has the piles of paperwork that just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and he's like, How does how does Mark do what this? Is, and Jerry's like What is this? What is this? Yeah. What is what is this? <laughs> like very similar. And then we see Carter uh, going over to the desk, asking Jerry where his stethoscope is. His stethoscope has gone missing. Uh, Sends Malik off to go get some vitals and discharge a patient. uh, And then accuses Jerry of uh, stealing said stethoscope. Uh, We will follow up on the stethoscope uh, theft a little bit later on. Um, We then see Carrie uh, talking to the PI with the uh, really bad ponytail, in case you forgot, uh, about her mom. Air quotes, mom. Uh, And if there's any other family to help with how abandoned she was, Uh, air quotes, mom is asking. She's starting to come to here for the first time. uh, and She's asking for a woman named Claire. Um, And uh, being that this is the first time we actually hear from uh, the air quotes, mom here, Mrs. Brennan. She is played by actress Connie Sawyer, who appeared in stuff like Dumb and Dumber. Pineapple Express and When Harry Met Sally and I forgot to mark it down in the notes here but she did pass away in 2018 so only just a couple of years ago yeah I was gonna say if she's still alive that's impressive with how old she looks here season five is cursed yeah season five claims another I mean with with her age though okay but still time marches on yeah it does claims another victim (laughs) uh but uh as mentioned at the top of the episode, uh, she's still kind of in that altered mental status, uh, so she's very confused as to why she's in a hospital. So we will circle back. Much more to come with Mrs. Brennan.
0: And uh, we go back to that little boy who, who is apparently not septic, but they gave him Ativan. They can't figure out what the heck is giving him the reaction, and apparently there was a half a gram of question mark in the drawer in the dad's room that the kid had access to. Mm. Assumed cocaine, and because the dad doesn't correct him, when Carter says co- when Carter hones in on cocaine, I was
2: like, "Was it cocaine? Is it cocaine?
0: Did you give him cocaine?
2: <laughs> cocaine, cocaine." <laughs> so yeah, just,
0: mm. they love giving kids drugs in this show. I mean, it's probably not that like it's it's un- I'm sure it's very uncommon, but you know, I'm sure it pops up from time to time. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: especially and I, I mean I, like. You know, especially in a situation like this where a kid just found something and like, yeah, yeah, I could absolutely see that happening.
0: Like, fuck, they made pixie sticks, that I'm sure looked. I've never actually seen cocaine in person, but I'm sure if you put pixie sticks and cocaine next to a kid,
1: they probably wouldn't know the difference. I knew many an enterprising little moron when I was a kid who snorted his pixie sticks. So I was not one of them. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Uh, But I, I knew some kids who did.
2: I know, yeah, I do too, and I'm just like, my nose hurt just right. thinking about <laughs> my, it. I'm already not feeling great, and just, mm. My
1: sinuses are bleeding at just the thought.
2: Uh, but then Benton sees Reese in daycare, where in one side of the room, a woman is singing to all the children... While it goes over to the other side of the room where, like, the table and coloring is. And Reese is just kind of sitting in the corner by himself.
0: He's <laughs> such a lonely
2: it's little so friend. It's so sad. And it's exactly what it's supposed to be. It illustrates the point perfectly how isolated he is in this hearing world. Without a specialty school or specialty instructors. But it's just... Oh, it's... I love little baby... Little toddler Reese so much. Baby Reese is so good. Just... Mm. Replace all child actors in this show with little baby <laughs> Reese and I am happy. Um, but yeah, definitely pulls at the heartstrings. Benton walks away after that. We don't really see any follow-up from that interaction. Um, then Carrie, we find out, is asking for an ICU bed for her mom. Mark and Carter are telling Carrie about the cocaine. And she's like, wow, that's not surprising. I'm like, okay. Like, another day in the office. Yeah, she um,
1: does not care at all. Like, Does
2: not give a shit um kube says mobilage is asking for mark so mark gets pulled away and then we also find out that a schizophrenic delivered a baby in the street and they put carter on it to handle it because uh carrie's busy dealing with her mom and mark is about to go uh deal with more mobilage
0: speaking of which let's go to our next audio clip where mark goes in to support mobilage during his testimony i don't
4: know there was a hood over my face Are you frightened? I thought I was about to die. Then what? They took you to a cell. Yes. What kind of cell? It was cold. What did it look like? I don't know, sir. They kept the hood on your head? Yes. Then what? They came and got you? How long before they came back? what happened next cannot tell you
5: why because I do not remember
1: several things about this number one first and foremost uh Jaiman hansu is the unquestioned MVP of this episode yes yeah, like spoil spoiler alert he's my pick for guests
0: if you can call yeah. guest star yeah i think so He'd be a guest. he he qualifies
1: yeah. yeah i think so um yeah no he is like i mean he's already he's been good this whole time but this is an episode where he goes from like solid to pretty good to like r- like you can kind of see where like th- there's a there's a big movie star in there like there's a guy who's got tremendous acting chops in there um Secondly, we had that scene during the storm where Clooney had that uh, that back and forth with that investigator. And we talked all the, at the time about how like how amazing that actor was and how much he brought to the scene and how like, you know, it took what could have been this otherwise very just expositional type scene and, and brought it into like all time great status. Mm-hmm. This guy does the same kind I was gonna say the opposite. Like to me oh, to I me I think to me I think Jaiman Hansu like carries this scene and this guy does oh. not meet the moment, I don't think. Like I think I don't know. I think this could be so much better than it is, and it's great, but I think that's all on Jaiman Hansu. I think Jaiman Hansu makes this a hundred percent what it is, and the other guy is literally just there just tossing softballs at a brick wall. Like he he has no I don't feel like any oomph to him whereas the other guy had me hanging on every word.
2: I think here, though, he's trying to be a more soft kind of receptacle for what Mobilaje is saying. Sure. yeah. So he's trying not to overpower the scene because it's really supposed to be carried.
1: Right. No, exactly. Different type of scene. Like, it's just, you know, it was kind of fresh in my mind having it just a couple episodes ago. Like, what a what a difference it can make.
2: They're, they are definitely an interesting contrast, though. The other thing that happens here that doesn't happen in the other is there is some more score, mm-hmm. which might contribute to it. True. And how tense it ends up feeling or not. They may have felt that because this is such a dark topic mm-hmm. that they needed to soften it a little bit with some of Martin's magic.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, This this is a storyline that could, I mean, well, is even with the score, but, like, it could get overbearingly dark if you let it. And I do think you needed a little bit of the, like you said, the Martin magic to kind of soften the blow and round off the edges on it just a little bit. Um, But still good stuff. Like I said, Jaiman Hansu, 100% MVP of this episode. Uh, But we go from there. The previously mentioned schizophrenic woman who delivered is wheeled in looking for her baby. Uh, And it's a surprise return. It's the woman from uh, an episode early on, I think, this season. Uh, I don't think it was season four. I think it was early this season. I think it so. Was. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Coco, uh, the one who was suspected to be pregnant, uh, or they, th- th- she comes in claiming to be pregnant, and Mark doesn't buy it, basically, and gives her Haldol uh, before yeah. he does a pregnancy test. Uh, and so, uh, but she's back having delivered. Um, the placenta was apparently eaten by a dog in the street, which was <sighs> charming little detail there. Uh, Lovely. the umbilical cord is tied off with a garbage tie, which, you know, honestly, a plus homeless triage. there. like yeah. doing the work. Like somebody was paying attention. Um, and Coco is yelling for her baby saying that they stole him. And she gets very menacing when she tries to cross across the, uh, trauma rooms as a uh, Carol and carrier in the other trauma room, cleaning off the baby, um, and getting him examined. She, Shoves Carrie down and then tries to take the baby back from Carol, who protects it at all costs.
2: Does a very good job shielding.
1: Yes. Yeah. Very maternal. Uh, We also get another return in this scene uh, all the way back from season one, uh, baby dick and balls. Uh, They make another grand (laughs) return in this.
2: (laughs) Lizzie Lizzie did say, like we were watching this, and Lizzie goes, that's a baby's genitals. Yep.
1: We get baby dick and balls for the first time since season one, if you're keeping score at home.
2: Was trying not to, but thanks. I missed it because I was looking down for notes, so I did not have to re-experience Full 10
0: AP, high definition. They
1: are just right there, fully framed. Can't miss them. Lovely.
0: Uh, And and Benton's down in the ER trying to get the sternal sauce study. Just try to say that five times fast. You're welcome. Info (laughs) from Carrie and suggest they write it together because it's sort of a, you know, it's, oh yeah, it's a total, total thing. And he uses that to bridge the gap of, uh, brings up the trauma fellowship and how the, and Carrie mentions, oh yeah, they're trying to go to go around Romano with that. And they're proposing it to and ANSPAs are proposing it to the board next week.
2: This makes no sense to me because Romano is now chief. What is Carrie doing organizing fellowships at this point? She should just be a normal doctor in the ER.
1: Well, they do. Maybe. They do mention that it's an ER centric fellowship. So right. And,
2: yeah. and Romano is right. But the, she's an attending
1: in the ER. So she, she I might guess. have some kind of, Flexibility or leeway with that, I don't know. I, don't
0: know. I think I think she w- wisely made the assumption that Romano would not want the ER essentially to essentially poach one of his surgeons. Well,
2: and I get that, but I'm saying she does not have any authority to do this. That's like...
0: why Anspa is involved, mm-hmm. and Anspa is going to bring it up to the
1: board.
2: I i I don't i don't i don't agree i don't think it makes the
1: the larger the larger question here is how because this is kind of a collision course of two um two popular characters and two popular character uh portrayals here how do we feel about peter kind of going around elizabeth to try to snake her internship or fellowship uh for totally noble reasons. Like he want yeah. he wants to have a a more normal routine and a more normal life uh schedule to accommodate Reese and all of his uh challenges and and needs. Um but by the same token too, it was kind of Elizabeth's to lose and it was her idea and it was the the whole thing was kind of conceived by her and doesn't she deserve a normal life too? So I mean it's like how do we feel about these two characters kind of coming coming to a head?
0: Benton's intentions are you know, like you said, they are correct and they are... I, I'm not going to use the word noble because mm-hmm. that's the wrong word because the way he goes about it is,
1: is less than yeah. ideal. But it's... <sighs> it puts. I mean, it puts the audience in yeah. a really, really... I mean, I guess I like that they bother to even, like, do this because it does put the audience in a really uncomfortable position of having to pick a side, basically, between these two characters who both i think have pretty legitimate claims to something like this both of these characters could use a fucking break basically is what it what it boils down to like they've both kind of been put through some shit over the last year and uh it would just be really nice if one or the other of them could get a break but they can't both get that break so
0: yeah Yeah. his motivation is good but his methods are not good Mm. that's my
2: yeah, I think it's a place of ignorance where he's so busy being stressed out and trying to find an out for his own situation that he doesn't even stop to think that maybe it was Lizzie's baby, right? And that he probably was just like, "Oh, she's going in for this. It must mean that it's available. I'm gonna mention it too." Not, "Oh, this is she's going in for this. It must just be hers." Yeah. Like I don't. I think his competitive brain just tunes into, "Okay, it's a it's a surgical one open for us." Not that he necessarily thinks she's the only one. And so he's got easy pickings. It isn't, I think it's, it's from a place of ignorance. It is an
1: interesting um, evolution and an interesting contrast to, you know, early it it, again speaks to that Benton growth arc of, you know, season one, Benton would have been all over this just because it was a trauma fellowship and it would would look good on his resume and it would look good on his, you know, transcripts or whatever. Mm. But uh season 5 benton is doing this for much different reasons like he it's kind of the first time we've ever really seen him do something that wasn't purely for his own uh ambitions but rather for his son
2: mm-hmm.
4: and that's
1: it shows some again that the benton growth arc is really kind of one of the highlights of this season
2: yes and going to be totally overshadowed by Doug leaving. Uh,
1: we'll see. We, we, gotta, we got
2: a... Couple, I want to try want to. We it. got a
1: couple episodes left. We'll see how we stick the landing, and we'll see how the dust settles when we get to the season five wrap-up.
2: Uh, we learned that the government prosecutors are coming to the hospital tomorrow to get Mo testimony because the prosecutors expect, rightfully so, that they're stalling. So we learned from the lawyer that they're coming here. Shit. Um... Carrie is checking with Carol on Coco's baby. Everybody's stable. Everybody's good. Carol mentions that the woman Carrie brought in is throwing PVCs. And Carrie's like, what the fuck? Why didn't you tell me? Oh, my God. (laughs) And goes and runs and stands with her all supportive and cute. Lots of very human Carrie moments this episode.
0: Mm -hmm. And then uh, more April Fool's chicanery. Um, Chooney quote unquote, can't punch in. And gives Carter all sorts of shit about it. <laughs> and this, I feel like this is kind of a weird April Fool's thing to do. I mean, I guess because Carter's inexperienced in management. Ha yeah. ha! He's incompetent. She's I guess, just because, giving him a hard time, making his life I inconvenient. I don't know.
1: Okay. Yeah. Seems kind I, of. I, seems kind of. Given lame. their, uh, given their prior, re- although he is a little distracted with the Bobolagey thing at this point, but. I still in in my head canon that him being in charge for the day is in of itself an April Fool's prank. I wouldn't be surprised if Mark put her up to that and was like, just yeah. fuck with his time card just to like you know. Yeah.
2: Well then, then you have then you have her look at Malik and she's like, I couldn't keep going. He was getting angry. So like Malik and Jerry look like they put her up
1: to yeah. it. Yeah.
0: Well of course Jerry did. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag Team Jerry. Team Jerry. <laughs> um the but uh on more serious news, the the CT scanner has crashed and it could be up to four hours before I've, it's operational again. I
2: thought this was going to be another April Fool's moment. The no, minute she is, said that.
0: This is all all real. Uh, so Carter is making the executive decision to close them to neurotrauma.
1: <laughs> I, I love when he says that, too, how Jerry immediately pushes back on it. And he's like, whoa, are you sure we like doesn't Antspot need to and i love the almost like pleading way that carter responds back and is like jerry i'm in charge okay like he's like (laughs) Like, someone is going to respect him today damn it like he is just "Mm, the poor boy uh but we go from there we see carol is uh taking care of coco and uh massaging her uterus which is a sentence i didn't know i was gonna say when i woke up today uh to help restore the (laughs) blood vessels it is a very nice very nice moment between the two of them uh, uh coco has clearly either been given or has taken her meds at this point and is much more stable uh you know back on back on the even playing field here uh she says you know she's swearing you know that i i can i can do that i can stick with it i can go back home and stay on the medication now you know and carol reminds her somewhat matter-of-factly that you know it's not for six months or a year but it's forever now you can never stop taking the medication you have to you know because she says that she stopped taking the medication while she was pregnant because she didn't want it to affect the baby um which is a totally understandable thing that's a that's a this is not just still a 90s thing they still haven't figured that shit out today like
2: no like for for a lot of anti-seizure medications it's something that if i were to want to carry a child no thank you but if i were to want to carry a pregnancy i would have to very carefully work with my neurologist to figure out alternate medications, uh-huh. smaller doses, who knows what havoc me having a grand mall would work on an infant. Yeah. So yeah, like this um, neurological disorders, mental illness, all of it. And those medications can mess with yeah. your baby. They still have not figured that out for any, for a lot of things. Yeah.
1: Um, and, you know, Co- with all of that in mind, Coco is of course, uh, understandably kind of freaked out that they're going to take the baby and that she'll never see him again. Uh, and, of course, uh, Lucy is the psych person being sent down to evaluate her for this whole thing. Uh, so, more Eat. more to come on that.
2: Uh, so, let me go over to Carter's completely normal day, and he is doing a lumbar puncture on a little girl, and her, her sibling is banging on the wall, and another is screaming and crying. Mom is clearly stressed with these three kids, you know, having to come into the ER and deal with all of them. The woman from radiology that we saw earlier... Um, calls Carter out to examine the chess films they took out in the hall. And Daniel, do you want to talk about who she is real quick? Yeah,
1: this was the first time I got a clear look at her. She is played by, uh, at least for me, she she may not be for everybody, but for me she was an oh-hey-it's-that-person, played by actress Gina Hecht, who appeared in the TV series Dave, uh, Seinfeld, Mork and Mindy, and one of my weird favorite 80s movies, Night Shift, uh, where Henry Winkler runs a... uh, Sex worker operation out of a morgue. Uh, I promise it's not as weird as it sounds. <laughs> it's actually no.
2: That sounds that sounds entirely up my alley. I'm here. It's for
1: actually you. a really funny movie, and um, it has Michael Keaton in it in his first role ever. Uh, he and it's Michael Keaton being funny, which is not something that I was used to. Because uh, I saw this movie probably when I was in high school, so probably like 15 years ago, and uh beetlejuice no this was before beetlejuice like this was
2: no but i'm saying you said you saw it in high school so that's why was yeah no
1: well to me though like at that time michael keaton was batman like that's what i knew michael keaton best for you like yes he was beetlejuice <laughs> but like to me he was batman
0: he's beetlejuice just his
1: monologue in sl will you play batman Red with, with us mom. michael keaton <laughs> so good but he's Beetlejuice. But if if you can find, it, I have no idea if it's streaming. Yet. I think it was streaming on HBO Max uh, as of a few months ago. But if you can find Night Shift, it is definitely worth a watch. Excellent, excellent comedic chemistry between Henry Winkler and Michael Keaton in that movie.
0: Also, I'm just trying to imagine the Fonz being being a pimp. Well, pimp. that's the thing.
1: He he plays the opposite of the Fonz. He plays like uh, Whoa, he okay. he plays such a like nerdy and and this woman here, Gina Hex, she plays his. Uh, overbearing neurotic uh fiance who is like just like treats him like shit and it's just like you suck get a better job blah, 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 whatever and then he hooks up with michael keaton who's this like weird wacky dude and they end up running a uh prostitution ring out of a morgue where they both work and it's just it, it, it's really bizarre, but it's
0: and comedy and Yeah, and it was
1: actually I think it might have been Ron Howard's first movie too, uh, as a as what a director. Yeah, it was Ron Ron shit? Howard Brian uh, Brian Grazer collaboration. It was like their first. I am going to look up if this is streaming on I looked
2: and I couldn't find a clear answer. But while we're dealing with that, speaking of ambiguous things, they look at this. Uh, chest film and there are four rib fractures on this little infant girl and carter has security called down immediately to stay with the family while they go take another uh, set of films you know full series like they have to do in suspected child abuse cases and um while that's happening carter's like well, how how'd the brother broke break his arm huh and the mom's like he fell off the bed which sounds like a bullshit thing. Like, how can you break your arm falling off a of bed? But that's neither here nor there. We're going to come back to this in a little bit. DS, D, DCFS is going to come and interview her. And security is going to hang out with them until they do. It's not great.
1: This whole episode is just haunted by Doug. <laughs> Like
2: Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jumping
1: to the worst conclusion with the mother of color. Uh, speaking of the mother of color, Mrs. Gleason, played by actress Terry J. Vaughn, who had uh, recurring roles on uh, the Steve Harvey Show and All of Us, as well as the movie Friday.
0: Hey, and Night Shift is streaming on Stars. Oh.
1: <laughs> Which is the only appropriate, <laughs> the only appropriate response whenever <laughs> Stars comes up. Oh. Not watch,
0: not watching that then I guess. But it has a very nice Rotten Tomatoes rating. <laughs> At 69%. That,
2: uh, you know what's not nice? This bulk of audio clips we're about to get oh into. Oh, yeah.
0: I'm trying to lighten the mood I'm before tra- we get... No, th-
2: I... <laughs> let's go! <laughs> All
0: right. We've 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 hit the listening party episode, portion of this episode. Uh, so let's start off with uh, Kubi and Mark talking about Mobalaje.
4: They let Mobalage live for people to see him broken. To set an example.
5: Why? What did he do?
4: He wrote a short story. They saw it as a call for revolution.
5: Was it? I didn't know he was a writer.
4: He's an engineer. But he was a romantic to me. Not as you see him today. He was warm and funny, energetic.
5: Kubi, I, I need to know things about the torture. Anything that could help spark his memory. We don't speak of it. You must know the sort of things that they did. You can see the
4: sort of things they did.
5: I was thinking more of where, how long, when, details.
4: I cannot give you details. I wish I could. When will we have to go?
5: Your visa is valid. It's only mobilage.
4: When will we have to
5: go? I don't know. Thank you. For what?
4: You've been very kind.
5: I want to help him.
4: So do I.
0: Okay. I know we've been heaping all the deserved praise on Demanju Hansu for his role. I forget this actress's name.
1: Akasua Busha.
0: But she has also been... Just as excellent, mm-hmm. in my opinion, she is fantastic, and I love the ke- the on screen chemistry she has with Mark. She's she's the heart, he's the soul.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and this and- this is arguably the most like uh, uh, I, mean, I, I this it's not the right word, but like it's the most expositional we've been able to get about the story. Like yeah. we've learned more in that minute and a half about the details of kind of you know, not only the incident of what happened to Mobalaje, but like their lives together before the incident. Like we, Mm -hmm. we learned so much about not only what happened to him, but about them and what their relationship was like before everything went wrong. And it's just, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. She, she is by no means uh, not up to the task of uh, matching his intensity.
2: And I love the, well, when do we have to go?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So much like just, just the ugh. solidarity. Oh, she's my heart
0: ripped into pieces.
1: Ugh. And, uh, and this is unfortunately the last time we will see Kube. Uh, the, her part of the story, I guess, is more or less done. Um, I again, there's been so much of this story that I have either misremembered or just completely forgotten about. And um, so I'll be interested to see how they do wrap it up. I believe Mobilaje has one more appearance after this episode. I
2: think I saw him in the next, uh, screen. Yeah.
1: No, I think that was for this one.
2: I don't fucking know. From,
1: from talking to our buddy Aaron, who of course was on a couple episodes ago, he expressed some frustration with how this storyline ends and says it sort of borders on a bob. So I'll be interested Mm -hmm. to see how they do wrap this up, uh, and whether it, whether we think it's anything close to a satisfying ending, but, uh good note for for kube to go out on as a just mm-hmm. a, a one big you know monologue kind of performance like that is a good note for her to end on
2: yes very powerful
0: all right let's move on to our second of three clips here uh carol and carrie are talking about mrs brennan aka carrie's mom hey
3: carrie hey i was checking vitals on mrs brennan chart says you pushed some lidocaine that's right Did her DNR status change?
6: Do not resuscitate does not mean do not treat.
3: You treated an arrhythmia.
6: Yeah, that's not resuscitation.
3: So you won't intubate?
6: Carol, you know what, she's my patient and I'll make a judgment call if it comes to that. Excuse me.
3: A judgment call? Isn't that a little hypocritical? What? Doug made judgment calls, what he thought was best for his patients. Carol, Doug created his own problems. He didn't
6: help much. Is that what you think? Is that what you think that I drove him out of here?
3: No, but I know you wanted him out.
6: Oh, I am not going to have this conversation with him. At least he never went against his patient' wishes. No, this is... is different. How, Carrie? How is this different? She is my mother. Mrs. Brennan... Mrs. Brennan is my mother. Why didn't you tell me? I don't know. I was adopted. And I hired... I hired this private detective to find her. I never imagined it would happen like this. I, I didn't expect to find an old woman. I always thought that she was probably some scared teenager who couldn't keep me. I, I thought that I would have more time, have some kind of meaningful conversation, ask her questions. But the minute I find her, she's dying. Carrie, I'm so sorry. It's not your
3: problem. She's hemocult positive. Crit's down. I'm going to call for a GI consult. Type and cross match two units, okay?
2: Carrie, baby. But I love that Carol's like, judgment call. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Carol immediately calling Carrie out on her shit. Whole, here for it in every single possible sense of the word. Whew.
1: Yeah, I, so we touched on this uh, last episode. Yeah, last episode. Um, where, like, you know, they obviously couldn't ignore the elephant in the room. That, you know, Doug was gone and that they had to, you know, they, they, they just sprinkled it in and reminded it of you there. And I've sort of thought more about that as we've gone along here. And I and I, I think that, like, the impulse is, when you lose a, a major character like that, and not only a major character like that, but a presence like a Clooney, the, the impulse, I think, would be to just, like never fucking bring it up like let's just Mm -hmm. let's just pretend like he you know was never here in the first place and like and i think it's really honestly very bold storytelling of them to still kind of bring him up in these major storyline kind of ways where it's like she's bringing up ancient history stuff here between carrie and doug and like no like you you're being a hypocrite like you're you are doing the same things that you raked him over the coals for and because it's now personally a, a thing like it's a it's a personal a case that you have a personal connection to now all of a sudden it's okay and it's just i don't know like it's i think it's really bold storytelling and also too i like i like how carol immediately like backs off once she realizes what's going on mm-hmm. you know like she says her piece but then once she once she gets the uh the full context of everything like she does sort of like realize that maybe now is not the time to have this conversation yeah,
0: yeah. no like not quite foot in mouth but, like, just pump the pump the brakes yeah. a little yeah. bit she like, res-
2: she respects that Carrie is going through a very human moment right now and needs some support
1: i I love the way that too that Carrie's voice trails off almost mm-hmm. to the point of you can't hear her, like she's yeah. so hurt and so just the the weight of all this is like crushing her, and it's just it, it's a very strong performance from Laura,
0: yes. All right, and let's go to our last little trio here. There's still one more after this for the episode, but um, last of this little trio here, Dr. Weinstein uh, and Peter are now walking out of surgery. You certainly know your way around a
1: resection, Peter, but do a little more homework next time. Well, we keep them pretty busy. Hey, you want to get some coffee? No, thanks. If I leave now, I can make the third inning. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. You bet. Take care. See you later, you jerk. Don't worry mm-hmm. about that, Peter. I didn't even know the answer to that question.
5: no. I should be more prepared. I go home, see your munchkin. His name is Reese.
3: Oh, Reese's Pieces, cute. Hey. Hey, how'd it go?
5: Uh, fine, I guess.
3: Not exciting enough for you, though.
5: No, it was interesting.
3: So why'd you feel the need to poach my meager ambitions? I spoke with Kerry Weaver about the status of the Trauma Fellowship. She told me there might be a selection committee, but there was other interest. Was that you? I mentioned something. Peter, I told you in confidence. I wouldn't have said anything if I thought for a second you'd try and steal it from me.
4: That's already yours?
3: It was my idea. I brought it to Green and
1: Weaver. Okay, well, I'm sorry. You didn't tell me that. Peter. Look. I didn't say I wanted it, I was just asking.
3: Oh, well then, let me know when you decide. I'll go ahead and plan my life.
5: Elizabeth, it's not like that. It's just that, I don't know, you know, things aren't working out right now.
3: I don't like cardiothoracic. Oh what, so trauma's a backup? No, I
1: just thought that this might make sense, you know? I can't spend the next five years being some kind of indentured servant. I I need time for Reese.
3: Now that's low. Well, I know you love your son, but don't use him as an excuse to screw me over. You know what? Take it. I don't want it. I'll find something else. No, no, I don't want you to forfeit it to me. If you want it, by all means, you go for it. I'll still get it.
0: Uh, Exhibit, like, X, Y, (laughs) Z, why I love Corday as a character. Just everything about this scene. So fiery. I love it. And she's totally right. Yeah and she's absolutely right and now we well now we know at least that it was a little misinformed peter mm-hmm. poking around where he shouldn't or he maybe shouldn't have been but he's still he's still like man ah just i love it sorry my words are escaping me today but.
1: <laughs> no it's perfectly perfectly acceptable to gush here i mean she that that's one of my favorite little like bits from her like her just i like She's at her best, I think, when she is like kind of energized about something. And I think that's what's so disappointing about later on in the show is that when she feels like all the wind is taken out of her sails as a character and she loses some of that uh, fire. And here is a perfect example of when she is at her best, she can be one of the best characters on the show. Like She can have so much uh, emotion behind her. Just the like, fuck
0: you, don't, yeah, don't, don't back Yeah, down. don't like, I don't no, want you to back fight, out of this. Bitch. I want to beat you. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh so the meager ambitions.
1: Yeah, well yeah. The British thing adds like an extra layer of it because it it, it makes otherwise totally mundane words sound so much like more cutting and more biting. Like, Pouch
0: my meager ambitions. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful. That's my terrible accent. It's Hello to our UK listeners. <laughs> it's
2: better than I could do.
1: Yeah. Uh, but we go from there to uh, Sam, the radiologist, examining the films uh, from The Little Girl with Carter. Uh, she has the the little girl has 28 separate fractures that she is currently dealing with. Uh, but they discover a discrepancy on the uh, new films versus the old ones. On the new films, the girl has five rib fractures, whereas on the uh, original set, she only had four. Hmm. Interesting. So they they go through all the possibilities, could uh could it have been just missed on the first one? Was it maybe taken from a different angle, you know, whatever? Did they even suggest could it could it have possibly happened in the ER? Like could the mother have done something because they're still under the impression that uh this girl uh or this this woman has been abusing her children. Um and turns out that uh they believe that Carter actually caused the additional fracture when he uh Palpated her chest, uh, and uh, turns out that this little girl may have something called osteogenesis imperfecta, uh, A.K.A. glass bones. It's a
0: brittle bone disease.
1: I think is what's yeah.
0: more collo- colloquial. Colloquially, fu- colloquially known, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So how it's more widely known.
2: <laughs> she- collo- like I said, I can't word it today. The colloquial term.
0: All right. So and in my and in my head canon, this is. The alternate universe origin story of uh, Samuel L. Jackson. I was, ju- I was just going to bring that yep. up. Yeah, this is. We,
2: we both thought it when <laughs> we were like,
0: <gasps> Mr. Glass. God, also Unbreakable. God, fucking love that movie. I
2: I am one of three people who also enjoyed Split and uh, Glass as well.
0: I am the second of those three
1: people. And I am, and I am not the third because I've only seen Unbreakable and it was 20 years ago and I've never watched it since.
0: Highly recommend the other two. Splits uh,
2: fucking wild, though. Like, that's... You gotta buckle in and be ready to deal with some slightly problematic shit with how they uh, illustrate mental illness.
0: Yes. But James McAvoy, Jesus oh, Christ. so good. Anyway.
2: Uh, but then Carrie is outside with her private investigator gentleman, who I absolutely adore. Really like the two of them together. Um, he says mom was a stewardess married after having Carrie. She also had a daughter named Claire that passed in a car accident in her 20s. And Carrie brings up that this woman cannot be her mom because her blood type is O positive and Carrie is AB. It is physically impossible for them to be mother and daughter. And she fires the private investigator. And it's very sweet. He's like, don't let this deter you. Don't let this make you give up.
1: What a, what a like perfectly dorky uh nerd way for Carrie Weaver to suss out that this woman is not her mother that <laughs> like what, what a very Carrie Weaver way to suss yeah. out yeah
0: well
2: and um it's and I love how he's like, oh shit you know he owns up to the mistake and he says my guy at the county clerk's office must not have gotten a good enough look he must have misread the file yeah like he and owns he, up and says my bad
0: and he mentions specifically that like you know blood type usually isn't available information yeah. in his research so
2: he's like oh yeah I, like I don't even get that so just very very good good scene between the two of them. I hope we see more of him. I doubt we will. I
1: don't think we do. I, I double. I, there I, is
0: one more scene. I remember specifically at least one more scene. Okay, cool. All right,
1: but yeah, I uh, I mean, and what was the flash forward we did uh, recently, Lauren? Was that season eleven?
0: <laughs>
2: I I don't even remember anymore. Season te- season ten know- or
1: eleven. So like the yeah. the search will very much continue for Carrie. The Carrie's mom's, and I want to say there's at least. I want to say there's one other false start with Carrie and her mom and air quotes mom that she is convinced is her mother who ends up not being um but I could be completely misremembering that but yeah poor Carrie but for now let's uh, go over to Carol
0: asked Lucy to call her resident about Coco because Lucy is too inexperienced I mean yeah it's her first fucking week ever dealing with psych patients on the level that she is and uh because Coco wants another doctor. You know, respectably so. Coco has very... has There's a lot of complex issues going on with Coco. Yeah. So she might want someone who's who knows their shit. Yeah. Um, not to say Lucy doesn't know stuff, but she doesn't know stuff that <laughs> can make the difference. The baby's at stake. <laughs> yes. Um, and Lucy says, a schizophrenic thinks I'm underqualified, which A, fuck you, B, people with mental illness are more than capable of making their own judgments on the quality of their care absolutely i have fired more than one therapist in my life
2: when when lucy said that i was
0: livid i have fired more than one therapist and and psychiatrist in my in my over the course of my mental health journey
2: we're adults and we're able to identify those who work best with us yeah
0: yeah so in this moment fuck you lucy you're not better than this person. No, absolutely not. She kno- Coco knows more than you. Coco knows best.
1: <laughs> so we go from there to a very, very masterfully done <laughs> scene here, uh, managing to balance uh, the drama and the comedy almost oh. to perfection. Uh and so to the point they do this scene so well that I had to go back to season 3 and watch the mark being attacked mm-hmm. scene or at least the lead up to it again just to make sure that they did not just do a a sneaky little flashback because mm-hmm. this scene is so perfectly done. So Mark goes into the bathroom, Jerry's already at the urinal peeing when uh Mark goes up to the the uh the next urinal and joins him and Uh, Jerry asks him about – asks his medical opinion on why his pee might be dark blue. (laughs) And uh, Mark, you know, helpfully points out that, uh, well, it's probably something you ate. Did you eat anything that you didn't make today? And he says brownies in the uh, break room. So it sounds like somebody put some kind of dye into the brownies, and that's what's causing Jerry's pee to turn blue.
0: After he very, very – no homo looks over at
1: <laughs> urinal to confirm the color. Very, very men in the 90s uh, attitude towards this. Um,
2: yeah, because the fact that also that he just pees in the st- the stand right next to him, there's well, like eight open we urinals. We
1: have established from from, from, from the Mark and Doug uh, bromance days that uh, urinal etiquette- He's a close peer. Urinal etiquette is out the window in this hospital. Nobody yeah, adheres it's... to urinal etiquette. But, God,
0: that's one thing I do not miss about using the men's restroom.
1: Holy shit. Yeah, it's not great.
2: <laughs> just your junk being out for everybody to see.
0: <sighs>
1: especially if it's one of those places like We're... Wrigley with the troughs and stuff. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's the worst.
2: Oh, I'm I'm so glad I've grown up only having to use individual
0: toilets. Oh, I saw some interesting things. It's <laughs> awful. Back in the days especially I especially you if you have a
1: like a shy bladder and you just can't pee in front of other people. You could just be standing there for days having to pee. Yep but not being able to.
2: I'm going to ask a
1: question. Go yes. for it.
2: Why can't you just go in the back? Well, that's what I did. So, yeah. Yes, sometimes,
1: but not. like sometimes in a stadium type situation, that's not, yeah. that's not always, there's a line and like, you got to go when you got, when you get the chance, it doesn't right. matter where. And then yeah. there's like, you know, there's a line behind you and they're like tapping their feet and looking at their watch and shit. Like it, it just increases yeah. the pressure. It makes it even worse. Yeah.
0: Cause at least to Wrigley before they did it. The, I, when I used to go, I went, I used to go like a lot before they did the remodels. Mm-hmm. They had like the two tr- like they're literally troughs Ugh. in the in the in the center of the room. They had like individual urinals off to one side. And they had, they had like three stalls. Yeah. Like, so if you and, had to shit, you were out of
1: luck. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If you're shitting, if, if you're shitting at a baseball stadium, you're already having a bad day. <laughs> like yeah. your day's already ruined.
0: So but yeah, there was a disproportionate number of urinals to stalls. At least. Pre-renovation Wrigley,
1: but the the way this scene the getting back on topic the way this scene is framed and the way it is shot and even the balance of the banter between Jerry and Mark, um, it's almost a shot-for-shot shot reshoot of the lead-up to Mark getting attacked in season three, mm-hmm. and. I so like I said I went back and watched that scene cuz I was like it, it, the dialogue resonated with me so much. I was like did they are they just redoing dialogue? I was like was Jerry pissing blue back in season 3? And no, the the lead up to Mark getting attacked was about uh the book that was written. The um the salacious romance novel uh, and you know, he was asking Mark, oh, he was yeah, asking yeah. Mark of like, Hey, have you read Carol's book? Do you think she'd be into me? Like he's that, that was the lead up to that, but it's all shot very soon. They clearly had to have gone back and watched that scene when they were blocking out this one, because it's very yeah. intentionally set up to be exactly the same. Jerry, pulls the towel off of the thing exactly the way he does back in season three, he dries his hands. And then when they, they show Mark washing his face and then looking up into the mirror.
2: That's that's when I realized they were doing something with this because, mm-hmm. you know, I had that uncanny valley thing, but I didn't know how to put it in the notes real well. Yeah. So, thank you, Daniel, for catching it and doing such an excellent thesis on it. Yeah,
1: it's expertly done. It's probably, other than the, the sound clip to come, it is probably my favorite scene in the whole episode because the way they do it is just so uh, perfectly done. Where you can take such a silly concept, like Jerry talking about pissing dark blue, and turn it into this actually very dramatic uh, pretense for a, a later scene.
0: I would also like to point out that Jerry has learned nothing and very quickly washes his hands. <laughs> does not use the proper hand washing etiquette. That was he's still spreading after staff. After the great staff outbreak.
2: Does not sing his ABCs.
1: Does not sing happy birthday does. twice. All all the little tricks they tried to teach him. Yeah. Uh, but we go from there to Carrie checking on her air quotes, mom, not mom. Uh, she wipes her forehead with a damp towel and the the woman is still very kind of altered she's still calling out for Claire uh and Carrie takes a moment here and pretends to be Claire for the this very soothing moment both I I think this is very cathartic moment for both of them like it's you know Mm -hmm. she's doing this for the old woman but I think she's also doing it for herself a little bit too because I'm sure at this point she feels incredibly lost and incredibly just downtrodden. she like she thought when the day started she thought she'd found her mom and now she knows that she hasn't and that's gotta be really really rough for Gary I teared up No, oh, yeah very yeah, solid moment could.
0: mostly because I'm of the strong opinion and the very emotional opinion because you know with my depression I think about death a lot that no that not no one but like that most people don't deserve to die alone yeah so oh,
4: you're so it's always it re- so
0: it's always great when you're when you see, when, it's always great when you see something like this in a medical show when even if it's just a doc, even if it's just a doctor or someone just holding someone's hand as they as they deteriorate. Yeah. That everyone. I I don't want to say everyone again because I'm very spiteful these days. But <laughs> let's
2: let's be nice tonight and say everyone because it is the holidays.
0: Baja mug. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, and on that lovely note, um, we are going to go to our last audio clip. It is a chonker, um, but it. it Clocks in at four minutes and 23 seconds, but it's worth every single second. um I will put a distinct trigger warning on this one, though, for graphic descriptions of not only general violence, but specifically torture, um, as Mobilage will describe his torture. Mm-hmm. And so if you're squeamish, skip ahead five minutes and we'll reconnect with you. We probably we won't go into details when we're discussing this scene, but um but yeah. yeah and this is also one i very i highly recommend even if you haven't watched this episode lately please go and watch this it, just this scene i'm i'm personally skipping
2: it during recording because it was so heavy i i can't do it again so yeah. i'm i'm gonna be with you listeners on this yeah. one for moving forward but on there this.
0: but there is very much a visual component to it that sends it over the top um but yeah mobilage is in the bathroom with mark
4: it's a bathroom
0: yeah,
5: it's just a bathroom. Three stalls, urinals, a couple of sinks. But for a long time, I had trouble even coming in here. I used to dream about it. It was my nightmare. I was standing right here at the sink. Someone had just left. I was washing my face. Suddenly I feel a pain shooting through my skull and I realize that my head has hit the porcelain as I'm crashing into the mirror. My mind is one step behind. Someone's attacking me. I end up on the ground here and he's gone. So I crawl out and I try to stand up and he's on me again and he's kicking and punching and kicking and this sharp pain shoots through my hand as he stomps on it. I can still feel it. I'm lying there in the middle of the floor can't stand, I can't talk, I just keep thinking, why didn't I do anything? Why didn't I fight back? You cannot fight back. You cannot move.
4: There's no window there. Only a bright light in that corner. Someone lies over there. You know him. A friend. He's dead. There are voices. Scream from over there.
5: Chain. You hang from a chain
4: right here. Right here. There is laughter. The heath, the long blade.
5: Oh all dead to you. It burns. You cannot breathe.
4: It comes again, harder, longer. You smell it. You smell your own flesh burning. <laughs> for death, but my wife, my
5: family, my family,
0: money that's the single best individual scene we've had on this show yet and probably top five of the entire series that's fair for me
2: and again holy shit that score
0: yeah Yeah. it's everything is absolute that's that is the single most perfect scene we have seen yet
1: hits on a lot of different notes and and all the different parts like the cinematography the individual performances um i love how in the first half of it when it's mark kind of recounting his uh trauma that they redo and it kind of continues throughout but of course it gets a little bit overshadowed by the score but they do the thing they did from when mobilage was first introduced where they heighten all of the um diegetic sound in the room like all every Mm -hmm. little like tap every water drop every bump everything is heightened because he's entering back into that sort of hypersensitive ptsd thing of like his his senses are on fire and you know and then that score which is so ominous like that score is like the most ominous score i think we have had to date probably and it just like Mm, like it, and it's 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 almost like a heartbeat. Like it almost has this like real yeah, heartbeat with, with a heavy deep bass. Yeah, mm. it, oh. it is so excellent. And like you said, it. I think you're right. I think it is probably uh it one of the top individual scenes of the show bar none. And yet, whoever talks about it, like when when yeah, when, he, when, I when I, do you ever hear anybody talk saw, about
0: this? when I was waiting for this scene to come up this season because I remembered it, but like we don't like. Talk. Right. i think it's one of those things is like it's extremely heavy subject matter, sure. so you maybe don't talk about it in the same way you would like a doug and the kid from uh hell and high water or something sure. or something that still has stakes but like and it's still very dramatic and very well acted right. but
1: this is but like wow not, not to like at the ER groups or anything like that. But, like, you do see a million and one threads about, boy, wasn't it sad when Carter read that letter? And, boy, wasn't it sad when such and such? Like, they talk about sometimes the same six things, and it's sometimes a little bit frustrating because it's like, other things happened in this show, and this is a perfect example. There's 15 seasons and 331 episodes, gang. That's why we do these one by one, because moments like this would get lost if you didn't. Because not not every episode is on the beach. Not every episode is hell and high water. Well, Sometimes there are also, meaningless middle of the season episodes like this that produce these amazing moments that you would otherwise forget.
2: And it also doesn't help that a lot of people in those groups aren't necessarily streaming on Hulu; they're watching it on Pop, so they're all watching the sure. same episodes at the same time, and that's how you end up getting those circular, right? No, yeah, and I don't mean to I don't mean to single them out,
1: but it is just sort of a funny no, thing I, to me of like.
2: Okay. Dan- yeah, Daniel. I know. I-, I know. I'm there too. Yeah. I know. That's why Lizzie's not in those groups. I know. Lizzie has to hear us talk about them. And I he... also
0: just would never talk. I never do. Because I'm not a very, like, speak... I'm not a very social person.
2: Yeah, that's like... that's why it's mostly Daniel and I in any uh, Facebook groups or Discord groups. Yeah. It's, just cause... it's not because Lizzie doesn't love everybody. It's just because Lizzie's a
0: hermit. Yeah, I have... <laughs> I I feel like I have nothing interesting to say, so it's like, well, I'm fine. You guys, you guys got it. <laughs> but yeah, it... Any Anything interesting that I would have to say, I'm sure Lauren can say five times over. So. Oh,
2: stop that. And also, you all know that if you have a message to get to Lizzie, that it if you give it to me, it'll get to her. <laughs> so, such is the way. But, but yes, yeah. beautiful episode, not beautiful episode yes beautiful episode but beautiful um sequence for sure Mm -hmm. and very well done excellent scene partners
0: i yeah um
2: should i do the huge tonal
0: shift no because i I have one more thing to say it's interesting it's interesting daniel that you kind of use this scene as like the thesis for why we do this show the way we do yeah I just – because you're totally right, and I've never thought of it that
1: way. Yeah, it's – it's it, because I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who uh, – I, and I know because I've been told this by certain people – that they wish we would just fucking hurry up and get to season six so that they can have their Abby and Kovac candy and, like, you know, have what they want, you know? But, like, there is a certain charm that go, comes along with doing these one by one because there are these little mo- – I think we had it um, just before the storm where w- there was um, – that brief kind of otherwise nothing interaction between Mark and Doug. And we remarked at the time of like, this is the last time we're going to see these two just having a normal one at work. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: that's the kind of thing that if you were just doing the highlights and if you were just jumping ahead to the next big event and you were cutting out all the stuff in the middle, which admittedly, as we've seen, as we've gone along, there's a lot of filler in there. Like there's so much of, of what happens between the big milestone episodes that is very much a case study in why you don't do 22 episodes of a drama anymore. Like, I mean, yes, I know they still do. I know NCIS will go on forever and law and order is coming back for season 69. (laughs) I get it. But like, there's the, the, there's a reason why that the, the culture of pop culture has shifted more towards the Netflix model of a tight 13, like just give me 13 episodes, all killer, no filler. And yeah. let's just get to the fucking point. There is definitely an argument okay. to be made for we, that.
2: We also learned some of the pitfalls of the Netflix, Netflix we did. model, which will be coming up in a
1: discussion yeah, soon. Yeah, we did. And so there, there's there's points on both sides. But particularly for a show like this that is so long running, has so much history, and has so much kind of reverence for its own history... I do think it is worth, obviously, I think I do, because this is episode 109 of a 331, and we're fucking committed at this point, but, like, I do think I do think there is some value in picking apart the nitty-gritty and finding these hidden gem moments, because, like you said, this is, I think, unquestionably a top-five scene in the show, and it, it's a character who, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't really matter, and... Nope. It's in an episode that nobody talks about as an all time great episode. And we're going to get into the, our thoughts on it here in a minute. But spoilers for that. It's not like a life changer. It's a good episode. It's a fine episode. But it's not really like going to set your world on fire. But it does have this one amazing moment in it that you could take and put it up against anything else that happens in any other. I, I honestly think, I think this scene right here is the fucking selling point for the Africa episodes later in the series. I think Mm -hmm. this is the scene that fucking like births those episodes later in the season where somebody that obviously, uh, I think it probably goes to the highest levels. I think probably John Wells and and Chris Chulak and like all the people who were like at the tippy top part of the decision-making process behind the scenes clearly had a personal, uh, connection and a desire to, to tell more of the stories of what was happening in Africa, uh, at around that time. So it would not surprise me if those episodes were always going to happen. But I do think that this storyline has been sort of them dipping their toe in the water of Mm -hmm. how can we maybe find a way to tell that story in our little County general ER world. And then they take, uh, the little nugget of an idea that is this storyline and blow it up into something even bigger and more grandiose and more, um, you know, say what you will and say what you want about the Africa episodes, whether you love them or hate them. They're extremely important in terms of what they did to bring, uh, American consciousness to what was happening in, in that part of the world at that time. And, and still in many ways is continuing today. Um, and it all kind of stems from this little gem and this little seed of an idea in this scene here. I just love it mm-hmm. so much. So what happens
2: next, <laughs> Carol goes to the OB clinic. She goes to me with her doctor uh, she makes an appointment for her prenatal checkups and they're like, oh, you know, why are you, why are you doing, the, you know, what do you need the appointment for? And huge grin on her face. She goes, I'm going to have a baby right after this torture description.
1: Weird.
2: Such an awful tonal shift and I yeah. hate it.
0: You should have ended it on Mobalogy. I
1: get the impulse to not want to end the episode on Mobalogy because that is a big fucking like, <sighs> and then it's over. Like. I get, I get their impulse to not want to do that. Here's how I think I would fix it. Because this is garish. Like, this is awful. It's this so bad. This is a terrible I, uh, tonal I shift. Uh, on the order of some of those season one tonal shifts that we've seen in uh, way back when. I think uh, I would have swapped Carrie and her not mom. I would have swapped that for Carol going into the OB clinic. Have Carol going in to do her thing in the OB clinic. Then have the mobilage thing. And then finish with Carrie and her mom because kind yeah. of the the a plot of the episode prior to the Mobilaje thing taking over was Carrie and her um her not mom. So I would I would have I think that's a t- put that as kind of the the closing bell and just let's end it there. It's it's a little bit of a softer landing than the Mobilaje thing that just dumps it into your lap, and it's certainly a hell of a lot better than this weird ass like happy shit that that I'm not that's here a, for. That's
2: that's a tighter way to end it. I like that.
1: So we've already sort of touched on it to be
0: like our general feelings about the episode. Honestly, for me, just on the strength of that one scene alone, I would almost call this my favorite non-The Storm episode of the season. Like, obviously, the Storm episodes are all killer no sure. filler. But, but this is a pretty damn good episode. Yeah. Like, I'd give it an 8.5 or a 9. Like... Everything is good here. Everything is either good-natured or appropriately dealt with dramatically. Even with that weird tonal shift at the end, but I'm I'm a fan. I love this one.
2: Yeah, I'd give it a solid eight.
1: Yeah, I think all that's very fair. I think yeah, I, I think like I said earlier on, I think uh, Jaimin Hansu is hundred percent my MVP of this episode. I think he takes it. Uh, what would otherwise be a, just a solid episode and, and turns it into something bigger than it is. And uh, yeah, it's, it sets up a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of long-term stuff that'll pay off later on, obviously with uh, Carrie and her mom. Um, We get kind of the first big insight into that and the first big um, of what will be at at least one more uh, attempt to find her, her birth mother. And I, I don't know, there's just a lot about this episode that is good, but the mobilage stuff takes it from good to great
2: very well put what the listeners have to say about it
0: it's
2: a short one this week you guys gave me a bit of a breather um franner w says not mark and carrie bending over bending and or breaking the rules to help them with their own personal interest in a particular patient i'm sure i've heard of that happening with another doctor before can't remember his name now maybe i'm mistaken (laughs) And at Baker Basics says Just the whole Carrie story My baby She thought she found her mom And then it isn't I feel so bad for her It's nice to see Lucy doing psych instead of the ER I love Mark helping Mobilage I think Elizabeth was smart for coming up with the trauma fellowship I just don't like how it plays out between her and Peter It causes an unnecessary rift for a tiny bit Again, I do enjoy this episode I just want to see Mark and Elizabeth doing the tango already Next episode, I can't wait
0: <laughs> 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 there you go there's your weird audio for the episode uh nope mine still wins okay well the that'll be on that'll be heard by the listeners at home ah well that's about gonna wrap up our episode for today folks thank you all very much for listening as always the show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash Tone podcast for only one dollar a month you can get access to our show notes each week and for only five dollars a month you can get a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, jerry two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews and over 30 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a bonus show called The Lounge where we talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives at the moment, movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member should have a new one of those coming out sometime soon, if not already (laughs) Um, depending on how the holidays go Um, and flash forwards, where we do a commentary track for future ER episodes we would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts we are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Send the Tone Podcast. And we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Saying the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards. And Daniel, where can folks find you at?
1: They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is Y O y-o-u.el. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial
0: and lauren where can folks find you at
2: folks can find me right here shilling for all of you to please rate and review us if you are enjoying what we have to say we want to spread our madness to more people and the best way we can do that is with more reviews and feedback so please 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 and also if you're a patron you may get a sticker with my cartoon face on it (gasps) spoilers whose films are those
0: (laughs) whose films are those indeed um, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at randomgamer, that's J-A-M-3-R, as well as on the Popular Court's YouTube channel doing a Let's Play of Mass Effect 2. New episodes of that are out every Friday, and you can find those videos and much, much more at youtube.com slash thepopularcourt. Thanks again to everyone very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week.